This episode is brought to you in partnership with Life Kitchens. Life create kitchens to be lived in, planned around your life and the way you live it. Explore their unique ranges and book a design consultation for a personal and practical approach to kitchens. Visit life-kitchens.co.uk. I think that the creative muse is sort of a, an elusive and mysterious sprite who alights when she sees fit, and it really can happen at the most improbable times. One time I was out paddleboarding last summer and I saw the most beautiful cloud I'd ever seen in my life. And I thought, I really want to sink into that cloud. And I raced home and um, designed a cloud sofa. Hello, I'm Carol Annett from Country and Townhouse magazine. Welcome to the House Guest podcast, where I chat with experts from the world of interior design and decoration, the people behind the houses, hotels, shops and brands you see in glossy magazines like ours. If you listen on the Entail app, there's more information and images on the projects and people mentioned. And if you're doing up your own home, hopefully you'll pick up some tips for yourself. My house guest today is Potter designer and decorator Jonathan Adler, whose joyfully upbeat style has more than a hint of 70s glamour. He opened his first store in Manhattan in 1998, and there are now 10 stores, including one in London's Chelsea. Jonathan, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to see you in, I, I see you're in rainy Surrey. <laughs> I am in rainy Surrey. Now, you wrote a book um, a couple of years ago now called My Prescription for Antidepressive Living. So I'm wondering whether you're planning a reprint on that one because it might go down quite well. <laughs> yes, it seems more timely than ever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wrote that book a while ago and the my sort of, uh, my sort of design philosophy is about trying to combine design that's unimpeachably chic and timeless and fabulous uh, with a spirit of optimism and joy. And I think that those two concepts, uh, chic and optimism, are usually at odds. And I'll tell you a funny story that my husband, Simon Dunan, who's English and he's a writer, interviewed Hardy Amy's once and asked him why he dressed the queen in like a lemon yellow matching, you know, coat and hat. In, in designs that were not incredibly chic, they didn't reflect the latest from the runway in Paris. Um, and he said, why didn't you make the queen more chic? And Hardy Amy said, my dear, there is an unkindness to chic and the queen must always appear kind. Um, and I thought, wow, that is a profound insight, Hardy Amy's. And there is an unkindness to chic. Like the idea of chic is typically very snobby and exclusionary. And yet I am somewhat snobby and exclusionary if I'm being brutally honest. Uh, but I also, if I'm also being honest, have a very, I hope, friendly and optimistic spirit. And I sort of reflected on what Hardy Amy said and thought, huh, this could be my mission to create design that is chic enough to make me happy, but also friendly and inclusive. Um, and I, I hope that I've achieved that. That's sort of been my life's work and I'll let you and your listeners be the judge. Absolutely. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you got into design because really it was, it was pottery that was kind of, that's really um, found its way into your heart. Yeah, I have a very strange origin story. Uh, I started, I first tried making pottery at summer camp when I was 12 years old. 
And I'm not a terribly spiritual person, but the moment I touched clay, it was like a eureka moment. And I thought, oh, I am into this. And I became a really nerdy um, teen potter who spent all of his troubled adolescence in the basement of my family's home making pottery. And I always thought, oh, I really would love to make this a career. But I also, as previously mentioned, kind of chic and snobby and thought I'll never be able to finance a career as a potter. So it was my lifelong dream to be a potter and I never thought it would be possible until I uh, found myself in my early 20s failing at every job I ever had and getting <laughs> fired from a string of jobs. And rightly so. I you you realize that people are warming to you now in droves. That's just music. Oh. <laughs> oh my God, I was such a failure. I was like the biggest <laughs> loser. And it was because I was both bad at my job and I had very loose morals. So I was sleeping with everybody <laughs> in the office, including my boss. And he fired me and uh, I kept getting fired from jobs. And I found myself at 27, broke and unemployed and unemployable and thought, all right, screw it. I'll just make some pots and see what happens. Now here I am still unemployed and unemployable, but um, here really? I am. But I think that's so wonderful. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are um, gazillion parents out there who would be absolutely delighted if their young son was downstairs making pots instead of, you know, being kind of like this on a, on a, on their phone all the time or on a screen. I mean, we're all completely obsessed. We have this TV show called The Great Pottery Throwdown. Uh, yes. Can you get it in the States? I mean, it's just, it's really revived the whole kind of, I mean, we're in, everyone's in so much into craft and stuff at the moment, but particularly pottery. Um, and there's a guy on there who's one of the judges who literally bursts into tears in every episode because he's just taken away by the breathtaking brilliance of, the, of some of the things that these guys come up with. And it's just joyous to watch. I mean, I'm happy to hear that, but as somebody who basically identifies as English, I'm disappointed to see that um, American emotional incontinence has made its way over to England. <laughs> what happened to your legendary stiff upper lip? Oh no, we lost that ages ago. Forget oh no. Forget that. So um, you also have said that there is no such thing as a guilty pleasure in design. What do you mean by that? First of all, I can never remember anything I've said from one minute to the next. And I might've said that and then probably I contradicted myself as well. So who knows? But I suppose what I was saying is that one should never feel guilty about pleasure. So you are working on your spring collection. Is that right? Yes. Where, where are we now? We're gonna see. So when will we be able to buy the, the latest collection? When, when will it be out? Well, you know, it's funny. I have set up a world for myself in which I have a steady stream of new product coming out all the time. And I, I never can remember what period I'm working on because that kind of whole concept has gotten a little irrelevant, at least for me. I just am in a constant sort of fugue state of creativity and trying to constantly churn out new stuff all the time. So, yeah. I mean, I make stuff all over the world. It sort of comes in in different time frames, and it's just always pumping out more and more and more. And where do you get your ideas from? Uh, it's funny. People often ask that question, and it's a very difficult question to answer. I have sort of a pat answer, which is that I just say I keep my 
eyes and my mind wide open. And I think I say that because it's, it is very hard to nail down where I get my ideas from. I think that the creative muse is sort of a, an elusive and mysterious sprite who alights when she sees fit. And it really can happen at the most improbable times. You know, I might get an idea while I'm asleep. That happens very often, actually. And I sort of wake up thinking like, wait, what was I dreaming? And then I, it kind of comes to me and I scribble it down. Or one time I was out paddleboarding last summer and I saw the most beautiful cloud I'd ever seen in my life. And I thought, I really want to sink into that cloud. And I raced home and um, designed a cloud sofa. So ideas come from all the hell over the place. I don't know. It's just, as I said, I'm in a fugue state. I'm always sort of both delighting in and battling with my creative uh, streak and desire. So it's a lifelong struggle and delight. <laughs> and in, in a normal um, course of when the, when the world is being normal, are you traveling all the time or do you tend to kind of stay in one place? I travel a lot, but I'm also very insular. So it's a funny thing. I travel to my workshops around the world where I make stuff and those include I make stuff in Peru, in China, in India, um, all over the place, and in North Carolina and America. So I, I'm usually on the road for like develop, developing product in workshops. However, I'm not a terribly social person. I'm very insular. And I think that that is important in a world in which there's so much visual stimuli it's very hard to stay focused and to stay really on my own design path. You know, it's so easy to be distracted and to be like, well, wait, maybe I should be making a fuchsia um, feather headdress lamp. You know, it's like you might have an idea and it's hard to sort of stay true to your idea in a world in which there's so much distraction. So I travel, but I'm insular. So where, where is your kind of safe place? Where's your place that you come back to and, you're, and that's where you do the majority of your work? Is that where you are now in Shel uh, on Shelter Island? Um, I'm, I'm at my country house on Shelter Island right now, which is pretty much heaven. Um, it's a really lovely house that Simon and I built about 10 years ago and we're on the sea and uh, it's beautiful nature. We see seals and ospreys hunting and I paddleboard, it's pretty paradisical. So it's fantastic. However, my pottery studio is in my office in New York City and I haven't been there much lately. And is that, is, is that something that you still, it is a great passion that you still actually do whenever you can? I work out most of my ideas in the pottery studio. Like any, if you, if you take the time to visit my website and I think all of your listeners should take the time to visit my website. <laughs> um, you will see uh, a lot, a range of different products and idioms and materials, but I hope that more than anything, you really see a commitment to craft. And that comes from my life as a potter and it's where I work out most of my ideas. And I think that pottery is a fantastic way to get started as a designer, because first of all, it's the most elemental and sort of primal uh, bit of creativity there is, you know, short of like grinding chalk on a cave, you know, just making something out of mud, fire and water is pretty primal and elemental. So it's an appealing thing to do, but it's also 
you know, you can mold clay to be whatever you want. As a potter, I really learned uh, about silhouette and proportion. You know, it's like, it's sort of a crash course in understanding proportion, being a potter. And it really trained my eye to kind of understand just how different lines and angles work. And also, this is going to be a little bit in the weeds, but like when I work on any product or design, I'm sort of always focused on volume and lines and having a sense of elegance and intent. And clay doesn't want you to have wonky lines. It wants things to have uh, sort of elegant curves. It wants things to always be slightly convex because the clay is like more likely to stay up if the curves are slightly convex. The minute it gets too flat or the, it almost is telling you not to screw up. So <laughs> I think, I think, um, yeah, being a potter is a very good training grounds for understanding lines and proportion. It, and I just had that revelation. So um, you and your listeners are hearing this fabulous idea for the very first time. That's what we love. <laughs> So what, what I'm interested in is that, you know, you coming, you talk about having your hands in the clay and it's very elemental. And yet you look at the end product and it's incredibly glamorous and there's a, a real kind of pizzazz about it and, and upbeat. It's almost as if, I don't know, there's kind of, are there those two different sides of your, your character? Yeah, absolutely. And you've probably inferred that I'm slightly tortured or at least extremely analytical and always in a battle with my creative streak. And I, I think that the result of that is that I work in many different idioms and some of them are very sort of potterer, pottery-ish, you know, like a real sort of that kind of English sense of craft. And then some things are more about being sort of very audacious and glamorous and stylish. And they seem at odds, but somehow they aren't, they all reflect my somewhat schizophrenic sense. I guess as it relates to making glamorous products, uh, I think I don't want people to see in the finished product how much work and thought and analysis goes into it. I strive to make things that appear effortless and anyone who actually makes things would know that that's never the case. It takes a lot of effort to make something appear effortless. What about people that you admire? It doesn't have to be in the industry or, you know, people that you think just have that kind of, I don't know, the George Clooney's of this world or something. I mean, are there people that you look to and you just go, oh yes, they have just got it so right? Well, annoyingly, my annoying, annoying, annoying little British husband is one of those people. <laughs> um, Simon Doonan, who was a legendary window dresser. He created all the windows at Barney's um, and was sort of this fashion icon when I first met him. And then that annoying little creature went on to become a brilliant writer and his writing uh, appears effortless and hilarious. He wrote the book, Beautiful People, that was a memoir of his gritty childhood in post-war England that went on to become a BBC series. So. As I said, my annoying husband is one of those people who I admire. Uh, and then in terms of people of yore, um, David Hicks is a forever hero of mine. Um, and I think he had that ability to 
create design that was very personal and idiosyncratic and joyful, but very chic. Um, also, I'd say the American designer Alexander Gerard had that same kind of vibe, joyful, prolific, chic, as did Bonnie Cashin, another American designer. Um, and then I guess my final, my final person I will give a shout out to is uh, Hans Koper, the British potter um, who has been a forever hero of mine. Um, I am, it's, he's sort of a lifelong obsession. If I ever win the lottery, I shall collect Hans Koper pottery. <laughs> Brilliant. I, I actually, I'm intrigued by where you're sitting in your house because behind you there's a ziggy zaggy curtain and a, and a tile, both of which have sort of hints of David Hicks. Oh, oh, and there's a big lion. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a macrame lion above our bed. Um, yeah, I'm in my bedroom on Shelter Island, uh, and the tile wall behind me, as I said, we built we built this house, and it was a really fabulous. Uh, opportunity for me as a potter and designer to build a house and create custom tiles. And the house is full of custom tiles that I've made and other uh, custom products. It's sort of the best laboratory one could ever have. Beautiful. Yeah. And do you have a, do you have a favorite room or a favorite space? I mean, are you, are you able to leave it as is, or are you constantly wanting to tweak and meddle and bring in a new this or a new that or change things? Oy vey. I am, <laughs> uh, that brings me back to my lifelong um, battle and delight in design and creativity. You know, I'm, I'm very content with how it is, but then I'm always making new stuff and thinking, oh, I've got it. Um, you know, that already perfect corner needs a new lamp. Um, and then my poor long suffering husband, you know, the boxes arrive, I'm unpacking stuff, I'm fluffing and it never ends. Yeah, I can imagine. What about you? Oh no, I'm totally content. I just enjoy looking at everybody else's stuff. I, oh, I hate you. <laughs> it's probably because I have it, there's a little streak of laziness in there too. Um, <laughs> you're probably gonna poo poo me when I tell you that another quote that I found of yours. Um, Every creative person should have a naysayer to rebel against. I wondered who you were rebelling against. Oh, that is something I fully stand by. And there's kind of a funny story behind that. When I, when I got out of college, so I'll, I'll go back a bit. I went to this fancy Ivy League university in America called Brown. And it is right next door to a brilliant art school called RISD, the Rhode Island School of Design. And after I graduated, I decided to spend a year at RISD taking pottery classes as I was trying to figure out what to do. And I went, at the end of that year, I went to my pottery professor um, and I said, you know, this has been an incredible year. I'd like to apply to get a master's in fine art uh, in ceramics. And she was like, sorry, Jonathan, I just don't think you have the talent. Like, this is not your calling. Uh, you should, you know, piss off and become a lawyer. <laughs> and- That didn't go down well, I'm guessing. No, well, I, you know, I was like young and impressionable. I sort of did as I was told, but I always had her in the back of my mind, uh, you know, as this sort of negative voice. And then finally, when I got back to making pots after failing at everything else, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to ignore her and just make what I want to make and not look for anybody else's approval. And so I think that 
not to get all Oprah-y on you, but that was a very good life lesson that in order to be a creative success, you really shouldn't be doing it for anybody other than yourself. You should be completely selfish. At least that's how I interpreted it. And I've led a completely selfish design life. I sort of just make the stuff I want. And, you know, I shouldn't mention the name of that professor, but I'll just say that her name begins with a J and ends in Aki Rice. <laughs> so, um, yes. But I love that though, you know, that you've kind of been sticking two fingers up all the way along and going, I am going to do this and I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to be, a, I'm going to make a success of it. And maybe if she hadn't lit that little fire inside your belly and it would never have happened so so hey let's you know let's um let's kind yes, of shout out, out to her shout out to Jackie Rice thanks <laughs> and um yeah I mean it, like I said it does sound like a very sort of uh pre-packaged Oprah-ish story and hang on seeing as you're mentioning but, Oprah wait, wait, you did the Oprah Winfrey show didn't you oh I did actually once appear yes I have been on um Oprah uh she was telling, it was a show actually about people pursuing their passions and making a success of it. So, say more. Fantastic. And was she, where was she in her hairstyle? Which Oprah hairstyle did you get? Was she going sleek? Was she going big? Was she going curly? Because those are the Oprah eras. Like, you know, you can tell it. By the yes. Time. Her and hair was a norm. Her hair was a norm. Um, and I, yeah, her hair was gigantic. Gigantic, fabulous. That. That, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's when it's the best. You see, that's why you love to then, because that's that 70s vibe. Yes, that's agreed. It was meant to be. Jonathan, thank you so much. It's been really lovely, really lovely to talk to you. You brought a smile to my face on this horrible, wet and miserable Surrey afternoon in England. And um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your um, time at, in... Uh, at home on shelter with your lovely husband and oh. hopefully hopefully we'll see you back in the UK soon. Uh, I cannot wait until I can get back to the UK, my spiritual home. Um, it was really, really lovely chatting with you and seeing a slice of the UK out your window that's all rainy. <laughs> Thanks for listening to House Guests from Country and Townhouse magazine with me, Carol Annett. Don't forget to subscribe to the series on iTunes or Entail, where you can also find images, links and notes to enhance each episode. In the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram at Carol W. Annett. And keep up to date on all the podcast news and show notes online at countryandtownhouse.co.uk slash podcast. And please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. For more news and views in the world of interior design, sign up to our newsletter at countryandtownhouse.co.uk and why not listen in to our sister podcast, Breakout Culture, with Lord Ed Vasey and Charlotte Fruity Metcalf. <laughs>